he could be as fired up as he wants to be with anyone. As a human being, if you say to somebody, I can't breathe, your human instinct should take over and say, okay, let this person breathe. Hey there, it's Deanne Gilbert. I've been in corporate diversity for over 15 years. And considering what's been going on in our world in many cities and states, there's an awakening going on around systemic racism, equality, and inclusion. I believe it's time to have a courageous conversation. And I think you can handle it. Join me and my co-host, Edward Simon, at the Diversity Intersection. We will certainly provide you some direction. See you there. Hello, you have just entered the Diversity Intersection. I'm your host today, DM Gilbert, and I am here with my co-host, Edward Simon. Ed, are you there? I'm here. Hello, everybody. Yes, thank you. We are so excited about our conversation today. We have all been talking about the most recent verdict of the Floyd Chauvin case. And, you know, we brought a few of our experts, advisors, who are former law enforcement officers to discuss the results of the case. Lloyd Booker is an African-American semi-retired, right, Lloyd, semi-retired? Uh, that is correct, semi-retired. Yeah. <laughs> semi-retired police officer from the East Coast, and Sarah Kerr, a white female former police officer, retired, right, Sarah, are we retired? We are retired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we are gonna have a conversation that I think that you all will find enlightening um, and very engaging. We're gonna have a courageous conversation about a topic that we have all been talking about in this country, but many of us have been talking about it without the deep in-depth knowledge that our guests have today. So Ed, how about you introduce our guests? Sounds good. We'll start with Lloyd Booker. Uh, as Dawn mentioned, Lloyd is a semi-retired police officer with 25 years of service to the Bayonne Police Department in the state of New Jersey. Uh, prior to joining the police department, he served in the United States Army and was deployed overseas during Operation Desert Storm. I remember that uh, during the Gulf War. Um, he was honorably discharged and awarded the Southwest Asian Medal of Service, the Bronze Star. Uh, so congratulations on that, Lloyd. Uh, while, while working with the Bayonne Police Department, he was assigned to the community-oriented police unit, taking on the responsibility and task of maintaining law and order in the community. And so it's great to have Lloyd as part of our advisor team and strategic council. Uh, and then to talk about this particular uh, situation that we're facing uh, as a country here. So welcome, uh, Lloyd, uh, to the show. Certainly appreciate you joining us today. Um, I also want to introduce Sarah Kerr. Sarah serves as a diversity advisor, advisor, uh, and a retired police officer. Um, she is dedicated to facilitating the cultural change within organizations to facilitate a more diverse and collaborative community. Uh, originally hailing from Kent, England, uh, Sarah has lived in and enjoyed communities of the United Kingdom. Hong Kong, New York, and currently resides in California. Uh, prior to collaborating with the diversity advisors, Sarah has extensive career in law enforcement. In addition to patrol duties, 
Sarah worked closely with the Drug Enforcement Agency. We've heard that DEA, known as DEA, uh, the Border Patrol, the United States Coast Guard, Customs, United States Marine Corps and Navy, as well as the California State Probation, Parole and other agencies. So welcome, Sarah, and it's great to have you as part of the Diversity Advisors, as well as uh, to have this discussion today. Well, thanks uh, for having me. Yes, absolutely. So as Dawn mentioned, this has been on our hearts and minds. I know for, well, I know on my mind as an individual uh, since last June or May when the incident first occurred and, and here recently during the trial. And, and the first question that I wanna ask um, both of you, and, and maybe we'll start with you, uh, uh, Lloyd, is according to McKinsey, over the last 10 years, there were over 16,000 civilian shootings by law enforcement, 16,000, that's a huge number. Mm -hmm. Of those, only seven, now eight officers were convicted. Now, in your opinion, does that make any sense? Lord. Well, uh, real quick, and thanks for having me again, Ed and Dawn. I, um, I would like to say that, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, if there's, if there's 16,000 shootings uh, by, you know, civilian shootings by law enforcement, I mean, you have to look at the math. I mean, it just, that's just a reality that only seven people were convicted. So I think you have to look into uh, what exactly happened and, and, and how they go about the process of, you know, getting to the truth and, and what, what's about the shooting. So six, the numbers don't add up. That's my opinion. So. Right, right, exactly. Sarah, what do you think of that? What do you think of the numbers? Um, I mean, I would have to say, first of all, um, what are the parameters for those shootings? I mean, yes, the, the seven, eight convicted is a super low number compared to the number of shootings, but what are we including in that? You know, are those suicide by cop? Are those people that are assaulting other people? Are those mass shootings? We had more than 600 mass shootings last year. So I think you need to delve a little deeper into um, what those shootings entailed in the last 10 years. Although I do agree that that number is very low um, but then, you know, we do have a judicial system where there has to be sufficient evidence mm -hmm. and, you know, police officers are not given, but they do have a form of protection when they're, you know, doing something in the line of duty. Um, but that doesn't mean to say by any stretch of the imagination that every shooting is a good shooting, which obviously they you know, they aren't all that. Right. So, right. I mean, that's my opinion. Yeah, and I agree that, I mean, 16,000 civilian shootings by law enforcement, it, you do need to peel back the onion and say what what happened. And uh, because there are times when I'm sure you know, as police officers, uh, that um, there is some uh, justification in those improperly, right? Because you gotta, you know, you gotta protect yourself and others around you. So. Uh, certainly would have to do a little bit more digging. I, we just thought the, the number was quite high uh, where 16,000 civilians were shot by 
uh, police officers and only eight convicted. But as you both mentioned, need to peel back the onion a little bit more. I, if I if I can jump in real quick, yep. uh, just just yep. as I'm, I'm listening to the conversation, agree. I want you to understand that for me, in my opinion, it's not a we're not here at least for myself. Um, I had a very very uh, very fruitful career. I enjoyed uh, serving the community. But however, if you think about it, as you were just saying that, just as an open conversation, I mean. I've worked with uh, a lot of law enforcement officers, men and women, uh, cops, and they haven't shot their gun. So if you're looking at 25 years, myself included, at 25 years, and I'm a numbers guy a little bit. So if you divide, let's say 50 states, 16,000, so forth and so on, if you do the math, I mean, myself along with, I'm going to say even a 200 man department that no one has shot their weapon. So that's 25 years multiplied by 200, Right. So you have to look at the numbers. And again, there are justified shootings. Right. Uh, there's a lot of things to, to take into consideration. But I, I think personally that uh, only eight people, uh, if you took that, that thing and, and turned it around to, let's say, robberies or, or mm-hmm. something to that, uh, murders, I mean, those, those numbers are a little low. And I, I'm all for, you know, uh, being correct. So right. right. 15,000, I mean, I've, I've, I've never shot my weapon in 25 years. What about you, Sarah? Have you shot your weapon? No, I didn't either. And um, very few of the people that I've known for more than 25 years have. Um, So, I mean, you know, when you look at the United States, we've got over 800,000 police officers, and I believe it's approximately 18,000 police agencies. Mm-hmm. That, that range from, you know, one officer to 30,000 officers in a department. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a whole whole lot of numbers. And I would say the majority of people get through their career without shooting their gun. Exactly. So that's that's where the, that's where the numbers are. Will, will make you question. Just right, think exactly. how many people, you know, and I, I've, I've had conversations many years, not to to be long-winded, but most guys don't want to touch their weapon. They don't want to shoot that weapon. Mm-hmm. So there yeah. are a lot of, like Sarah said, there's a lot of uh, things that happen during the course of grabbing that weapon, and some of it's justifiable. But right. other than I, that, 25 years. Thanks for, putting, thanks for putting that in perspective, both of you, Sarah and, and Lloyd, because, I mean, like you said, 25 years and never shooting your weapon, I'm sure if you multiply that by many others, right. uh, you know, the numbers are, are yeah quite substantial. So thank you for the clarification. I appreciate that. That's that's very helpful to our audience too. That, that is, that really helps people because when they, when I think the, they say like the revolution will be televised. So everything is televised now. People can see everything because of their phones, because people are recording, but they only get a snippet of what happened. They're not getting the whole situation many times. George Floyd's situation was totally different. Um, so I, I appreciate you giving putting putting everything into perspective. So, you know, like during the tribe trial, numerous members of the law enforcement community testified against Derek Chauvin, confirming that his actions were uncalled for, not in line with um, policy or training. And as an officer, have you ever had to de-escalate a situation and had to go outside of the policy and training that you received as an officer? Good, bad, or indifferent. If so, what happened? Um, let's start with Sarah. Um, I mean, I've had to de-escalate situations, but I, I've never, um, 
from my recollection, ever gone outside of policy and procedure. Mm -hmm. And I actually talked to a few people that I've worked with before um, and people I went to the academy with, um, you know, just to find out, you know, if, if they'd experienced anything like that. And everybody that I talked to, they hadn't done that. Um, I think the fact that officers and the police chief testifying at Chauvin was, you know, kind of a break in the blue line um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a good way. Um, I think that um, rookie officers have it really tough because they don't want to call out uh, a veteran officer. And I think, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the next trial with the other officers, but I think that might be not part of their defense, but I think that might be something that comes up. Um, you know, luckily, I've never had to call out another officer because that would have been, as a rookie, when I was a rookie, would have been completely uncomfortable. And, you know, there's a whole there's a whole thing with that. You don't want to call out, you know, the older salty officers when you're a rookie because you've got this great job and you don't want to jeopardize it. And I think that might be the reason that, you know, some things happen with these rookie officers not calling somebody out. Not that they shouldn't, it's just that they're thinking about themselves and their career, which may not be the right frame of mind. Um, but I, I think that's, you know, something that happens. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what you would call their, what, training officer, right? Yeah, that field training officer. Field right. training officer, right. So yeah. that field training officer directs them, guides them, kind of tells them how things should be. Mm -hmm. and well, is that correct? Well, even if it's not a field training officer, if you're a new officer on the job and uh -huh. you're, call, you're called to back somebody up that's, you know, like a veteran on the department and he's calling the shots, right. you know, you're going to do what he tells you to do. Right. Um, and, and hopefully what he's telling you to do is the right thing. Right. But there's this, you know, you know, th this area where you're at, where, you know, you don't want to call them out. I mean, I never had to experience this where an officer that I was backing up that was older and, you know, salty um, did something that made me feel uncomfortable. I never had to deal with that, but I'm sure that happens a lot. And again, I think in the Chauvin case, I think that those rookie officers were following his lead, you know, and, you know, didn't have enough to step up and really, you know, force the issue about, you know, rolling him over. I mean, it was said once, I believe, by one of the officers, right. um, but it was dismissed and, and the officer just let it go. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, if I, if I, I may yeah. jump in real quick and piggyback yeah. off of Sarah, I agree with her 100%. I mean, there are times where I had to de-escalate de situations where I'm not so much outside of the policy, but just to kind of calm the situation down and be that person. But there is a, there is a hidden culture that I, I definitely, and it was exposed a little bit while everybody's talking about the chief and everybody, uh, you know, speaking against uh, Mr. Chauvin then saying that it wasn't out, you know, it's not the way we do things. But in the reality, there is, and she's absolutely correct. The new guy on the job, uh, in his mind, he has to live with these guys for the next 25 years. Mm -hmm. 
So what happens is uh, it's it's almost if I can, uh, as she was speaking, I was thinking the um, the, the street slang of uh, uh, snitches get stitches. Mm. Okay, that's a, that's an old I've heard that before. <laughs> it's an old phrase that's been out there and circulated, you know, in, in street slang. So what happens is you have to live with these guys for 25 years. Not saying it's correct. Not saying it's what you're supposed to do. But I've I've witnessed where somehow you kind of just like be quiet and not say close your eyes, but close your mouth. And it's, it's again, it's just, it's a hidden culture, uh, the thin blue line. I mean, that's exactly what people call the thin blue wall. And it was crumbling down around this uh, officer who, uh, and the young guys that were there with him actually, yeah, they're not gonna say anything. And it's, it's like a new a rookie officer. When you get an old salty guy, don't take on his habits because you'll have those habits for the next 25 years. Mm-hmm. And then you'll just be, you know, just so this, the cycle continues. And, and it's unfortunate, but yeah, I've had to de-escalate stuff and you don't want to be that guy, unfortunately. And I've never really had to turn anybody in or, or go against anyone. So I've always kind of de-escalated and kind of made right at the time. But it's, it's, a, it's a sad situation sometimes where guys don't want to, they want to be that guy. Right. But let me ask, I guess, let me ask this question to you and, um, I, I hear what you're saying, and obviously not being any close, anywhere close to becoming a, a police officer. Uh, but I, I would tell you, my my neighbor across the street from my family home was a police officer, and we would hear some horror stories of some of the things that he had to encounter. But I guess for me, you know, I, just seeing him kneel on that man's neck for that long. And knowing that there was nothing good that could come out of that pressure on his neck. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess, and I, I, let me ask you, so if, if you were there, Sarah and Lloyd, I mean, would you not have said, get off, I mean, there's a, can you do something different guy? I mean, that, that just, I mean, that just, I, it, I get emotional thinking about it. Nine minutes of so. I, yeah. I, I, I totally get what you're saying, Ed. And and everybody that I've talked to, because a, a lot of my friends and I followed the trial, and all of us are like, why didn't he just roll him over? Exactly. Why didn't he just roll him over? And none of this ever would have happened. Yes. And 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 again. There, there is this culture with rookie officers that, you know, some salty old guy tells you like, nope, this is what we're doing. Yeah, and, I got this. And, I got and, this. That, yeah. and that's it. That's right. it. Like, you're like, okay, okay. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're the experienced officer. And even though they probably realized that something, well, they knew that something was not right, but, but what were they going to do like pull him off of george floyd i mean again it, i mean there there's such a there's such a line there that you know it's like they want to do something they can't do something it it wasn't right it could have been resolved so easily by rolling him on his side you know and and that's really every officer that i know you know, we're all in, we all have the same opinion. Why didn't he roll him over? Right, right. 
Well, I guess the, the, I, actually, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I understand what Sarah's saying and, and I totally agree with it. It only takes a split second and then all of a sudden things can go sour. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, most of them, my coworkers, some that I still keep in contact quite, quite frequently, they, uh, everybody says, yeah, why didn't he roll them over? This would have been a different program. But what happened is this guy, and I don't want to jump in and, and just pass my opinion, being an armchair quarterback, but you originally said, what would I have done? Just me, okay? Mm -hmm. And I can only speak for me. Right. As, a, as an officer, as a human being, because I, as, as, as we're talking about this, I get these little snippets and flashbacks of being on the job and not even nothing to that extreme. Uh, I've always kind of responded to, okay, yeah, this person did something wrong or this person is in the wrong, but still we're not going to mistreat them. We're not going to add to fuel to the fire. Right. So if I was there, armchair quarterback, I don't know what was going on, but I definitely would not have had, I would have, I would have said something, especially with the guy saying, I can't breathe. I, that's just a common, that is a common phrase for any human being. If you've seen guys fighting on the street and after a while, when a guy says, I can't breathe, he lets him go. Right. That's my opinion. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, you know, I mean, he could be as fired up as he wants to be with anyone. As a human being, if you say to somebody, I can't breathe, your human instinct should take over and say, okay, right. let this person breathe. Exactly. That's my opinion. Absolutely. Now, I, I, for, I, I do think that I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm, I'm so hopeful that his death uh, is going to lead to um, to your point about being a rookie. I mean, lead to people in uh, police officers if they're encountering that situation. Hopefully, this public display and this outcome would lead to them being willing to say something right in the future, hopefully. But again, I'm like you said, I'm not a police officer. I haven't been in that situation. So I know there's many um, issues with uh, dealing with uh, people in the public from a law enforcement perspective. And I admire uh, you, Sarah, and you, Lloyd, for your career. Uh, I couldn't do it, but somebody has to do it. And, and there's a lot of good, good cops and, and police officers out there far away, the bad ones. So. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm gonna ask a, a question a little differently. Uh, I'm going back to the trial and the verdict itself. And, and I'll start with you, Sarah. Uh, do you agree with the verdict? Well, I absolutely agree uh, that he should have been held accountable. Um, I'm not really familiar with Minnesota law. So to me, the three different verdicts was a little um, puzzling to me. I mean, I, I understand that they're going to convict him on the highest charge, which I think is the second degree murder. Um, but like in California, it wouldn't have been handled that way. Um, but absolutely, he's to be accountable. I mean, 100%. Um, no other law enforcement officer that I've talked to that's either on the job still or retired um, thinks anything else. Um, and I, I think that's a misconception of the public that, you know, cops think that, you know, he should have gotten off. Right. Um, you know, no, no cop worth their salt is 
going to think that he should have gotten away with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and social media and public perception um, just, you know, <laughs> really, really makes, you know, cops look awful. And, the, you know, the one thing that I remember from the trial that really stood out was when the prosecutor said, I'm not prosecuting the police, I'm prosecuting Mr. Chauvin. Yes. Which, which to me was a very powerful moment. Absolutely. Um, and, and I really hope that people paid attention to that. That's right. Um, because it is about Mr. Chauvin. It is not about police in their entirety. You cannot put everybody in the same basket. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, and, and that, like I said, that for me was very powerful. But I absolutely agree that he should have been convicted. Um, my concern is that people are going to expect a sentencing um, that will not be what they want, but it's going to be based on law. Right. Um, you know, and, and again, it's, you don't get what you want when it comes to these things. You get what is justified by the law. That's right. You know, and, and I think what I've looked at, the most he's going to get is 30 years based, and that's if he's found guilty of the aggravated facts, um, but he's not going to get any more than 30. And so people are going to be upset, but they need to understand that, you know, our, our law, you know, our, our justice system works it's a certain way. Yeah. Right. And I, and I agree. I hear what you're saying. And I know because he doesn't have a prior conviction, he may get less than that. Um, and the reality is that this is a first step. This is a first step to accountability, I believe. And justice is when we all are treated equally in the eyes of the law. That's, I think, what people are just looking for. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, and, and real quick to jump in and again, to piggyback with Sarah, I think she, she said it uh, absolutely correct. I, again, I, I mentioned in my last statement that I don't want to be an armchair quarterback. I don't know Minnesota law. I don't know anyone that I've spoken to who would disagree with the fact that this man needed to be held accountable. Uh, and it sounds like I'm actually uh, I'm mirroring what she said. Is that true of the prosecutor when he said, we're not prosecuting the police departments, right. we're prosecuting Mr. Because at the end of the day, just like Sarah, a lot of officers that she knows and I know, uh, they, they weren't there. They didn't do that, Mr. Chauvin did. That's right. And, so, and there are a, a, a thousands of uh, good police officers in the streets. And so that was a very powerful statement. I don't know if anybody paid attention to it. Mm-hmm. And if they're, if they're smart enough, they realize right. that you can't lump everybody into one category. That's right. But it's, uh, what happens here is, is this right now police officers, and I said this ironically today uh, at the academy, that you know there's such a high demand and, and looking at officers and what they're doing. And cell phones. I, I flash back to being on a, just a, a, a motor vehicle stop and people break out their camera because of who you might have stopped. Right. And all these things, or you're breaking up a fight. It's, it's almost common right now that these cell phones and cameras come out. So you're under a lot of pressure as a police officer. I make no excuses for their actions, no, right. but they do. I mean, it really, it really does take a special person to, to, to darn that uniform and go out there to protect and serve and you know and a credit to a lot of guys that do it every day Mm -hmm. so i um i agree with what she said uh he definitely should have 
uh, been held accountable. Uh, people are not going to get what they want because, again, in my own opinion, I think people, people in general, society, uh, the people that are hurting behind this whole situation, they, if it was up to them, they would probably want to give them the chair, but they're not going to get that. That's there are right. laws, and that's just the way the world works. That's right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for that. I um, let's let's talk about, and I'm sure you've heard um, many people calling for defunding the police. Um, and I know I believe they are probably using the incorrect terminology and what they're wanting is actually uh, being called for is kind of diversif diversifying use of law enforcement funding. Right. Um, and the need for funding in more community policing, yes. uh, social work. I mean, you, you hear about uh, uh, maybe some more police collaboration and training. Uh, what's your opinion of this whole police defunding and, and what's your thought on it? Uh, we'll start with you, Lloyd. What, you, what do you think of this? Um, well, I agree with you 100%. I don't want to sound like an agreeable Johnny. The fact of the matter is the terminology uh, defunding the police a lot of people, they just they just take off and run with it. Right. What I think is definitely a wrong statement that they're making. We definitely need the police. Yes. Society will not survive without the police. That's right. That's right. And uh, it's a good thing. I mean, it's, I, I can't even go into the explanation of why. However, what they what they should say is, you know, you know, reallocate different funds and things in right. terms of community oriented things, right. teaching officers, because from my, from my perspective and where I am from, there's a lot of officers that come into these different communities and let's just say what it is. You'll get into a, a, a community of color and a lot of officers are not familiar with that. Just that guys, I, I personally, uh, I'm going to share that. I've had guys that I've learned and known and worked with for 25, they hadn't encountered it. They would come from different towns. Mm -hmm. So when they, when they're encountering a, a person of color, they almost don't know how to react to them mm -hmm. and they don't know uh, what the, some of the mannerisms or the beliefs or whatever the case may be. Right. And I had to I actually being uh, to the group in which I belong, I had to share my knowledge and, and my, my coworker was, Oh, I get it. Right. So uh, I think what they're trying to do is they're using the wrong terminology and everybody, somebody should come up. We're not getting rid of the police. We don't want to do it. <laughs> exactly. No, we don't. Right. We, we, we don't want to get rid of the police. police. Somebody fact, has to do it. Somebody, somebody yeah. has you said it earlier. Someone right. has to do it. Just right. like I don't think I could. I, I could be a doctor. I, I don't cutting somebody open is just not my thing. Right. So, um, but it's uh, the terminology is being uh, sent out there the wrong way. But we do. We need education. Mm -hmm. um, as Sarah and myself, we say we talk about this. Need to be strong practices in uh, de-escalation, mm -hmm. conversation, and if you think about it real quick, uh, just what we try to do is the stun gun. Okay, not to come out like some guru on the topic, but the sun gun was to de-escalate the fact that we don't want to shoot nobody. Right. We just want to stop them. <laughs> exactly. That's right. what the sun gun is. Right. So, right. you know, these things have been implemented. So they're just using the wrong terminology yep. by no means. Uh, I think most people that I talk to are not looking to get rid of the police. We just want to make it better. That's right. That's right. That's right. Go on. So, you know, Lloyd, you kind of like hit on my next question. I don't appreciate that, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I apologize to everyone. I, I don't know. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give this one to Sarah. Okay. Very sorry, so, Sarah. So most of us, you know, we're a product of the community we live in. Um, we, a lot of us grow up with the 
people that look like us, we're familiar with them, their approach. And even growing up in the minority community, I could say I grew up with, you know, Cubans, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, African Americans, Latinos, um, Italians, Polish. And it's so weird, but because we came from that same town, we, you know, we all knew each other pretty well, mannerisms, behaviors, all of that. But then when you step out of that, it's sometimes people don't know how to respond to other people. And it's weird, but it's true. So do you believe that part of the unacceptable recorded interactions with the police and black people, particularly black people, are the result of white officers stereotyping blacks as automatically criminal? And that's a hard question, but I know you can handle it, Sarah. <laughs> okay. For I'll just say from my experience mm -hmm. um, as a white female, when I, when I went to work uh, and probably people are going to poo poo what I'm saying, but when I went to work, it wasn't about what somebody looked like mm -hmm. or their uh, ethnicity or anything else. It was, are you committing a crime? Are you doing something bad that you right. shouldn't be doing? And and that's what I focused on. And again, speaking with my, you know, counterparts in law enforcement that I've known for, you know, 25, 30 years, you know, we all, you know, had the same opinion on that. And I'm sure there are, I mean, there are officers that are biased for whatever reason. Right. I never went to work thinking, oh, if I pull over um, a black man today, yeah, I'm going to give him like the biggest ticket that I can give him. <laughs> right. I mean, never, never. And, and, you know, I pulled people over that said, you know, I'm not drunk. I'm a Christian. I mean, right. <laughs> seriously, it seriously, it happened. Oh, but whoa. But I didn't grow up in the bubble that I live in now. Right. Um, I was born in England. I lived in Hong Kong. I lived in New York. And then I moved here. So I was exposed to a lot of different people. I have friends of all races, all ethnicities, all religions. And, and those things, when I worked, mm -hmm. had nothing to do with my job. But there are officers that do not have that open-mindedness that I do. Um, I wouldn't say that it's the majority. I would say it's the minority. I know in my police training, we had so much like diversity training, just, you know, going to the Holocaust Museum, um, you know, speaking with people from different ethnicities that it, they brought in for training are the, the departments that I worked for really made a point of educating the officers that I worked with. And I'm sure there are departments that do not do that. Right. And right. that's obviously something that needs to be addressed. Um, but for me, um, race was never a part of the reason that I arrested somebody, like ever, ever. And, 
<laughs> Sarah, and you, I, bring up, you bring up a good point. And as yes. you were talking and, and commenting, I was thinking you're, you're absolutely right because in any field, well, first of all, we all have biases, right? So absolutely. everybody, everybody. Everybody does. Everybody they're lying. Right, exactly, absolutely. That's just like a person when, I, and I, if I can real quick, and mm -hmm. not to jump in it, I apologize. No, um, what happens is when, really, and it's been put out there, when someone says to you that they're not racist, okay, and they say <laughs> that uh, I don't see color, then that is a very bad statement because then you don't see me. Because I see you and you see me. You know what I am. You know what I represent. So exactly. do not sit back and say that I don't see color. Right. Because you do. Mm -hmm. Now, how you respond to that color, that's another animal. That's, right. that's the way I look at that's, it. So that's that's exactly. What Sarah is saying is absolutely correct. Right. And, you know, kudos to her. Uh, and I'm just, well, because we're both law enforcement. The fact <laughs> of the matter is that she had a very, very, very nice uh, life in terms of all these different exposures. But what I was trying to say before to clarify my part is I do also come uh, to a department and there's uh, several around here and at least on the on the east coast that some of these guys do come from a bubble and what happens is that they don't really understand and know how and it right. goes both ways there are people in the communities of color that really don't interact with their lighter counterparts so there is this friction and then we're not going to bring in history so it gets really really complicated and as an individual like Sarah and myself, I've never, ever, ever looked at someone and did something, you know, simply based on their color. I've done it based on what Sarah said, if they were committing a crime. But the bottom line is there are a lot of people that have preconceived notions, all right, because of the environment that they come from. Right. And my, as, as a young person, I think working, uh, growing up in this town, in my town, and then them getting the opportunity to work here. I was fortunate because we did have such a diverse community, but there were guys that I worked with that just didn't have that. And that's, that's exactly. And that's so important. You have to have an understanding of this is a global society that's right. and Sarah's perspective and your perspective of what we need in police officers, those police officers that, that don't have any experience or knowledge outside of the little town or the hamlet that they've grown up in, they have preconceived notions that they, what they've seen on TV or what they've heard in the news or all of that. And, and exactly. And I believe, and this is, as we all are saying, these are just our opinions. I believe that it would, it's so valuable for them to have that experience to interact with people of many different communities in their training. Because if you look at police officers training, it's not a very long period of time. So they learn a lot on the job. Mm -hmm. So why not on the job, the same way that they have a training officer that they work with, why not have a community leader who is their community leader who's part of their training of the whole period of their training? Because then they build a relationship with that community member. And when they have a question or a problem, let's say it's in the Asian community and there's an issue, they can go to that community leader who they have a relationship with and say, hey, you know, I wanna to talk to you about what's going on. Then the community knows they care because we all are here for each other. And I know everybody's like, I am a, a Pollyanna because I believe that <laughs> we're a global society. We should all work together, but I truly believe it. Right. Ed, you were gonna say yeah. something? Well, well, what I was gonna say is, I mean, you can even think 
about this through from a corporate perspective, right? You do have uh, corporate folks that have biases and approach uh, different employees at different levels differently, right? I mean, it, it's it's not just police officers. It's it's absolutely. America. Um, corporate America too, but the key here is the diversity advisors can help with that. Right? <laughs> yeah. help you. You, the, the police officers, we got right, Lloyd right. and Sarah that can help with diversity uh, training and inclusion, being inclusive training and that. So anyway, all Sarah right. Was gonna, I think Sarah was about to say something. Right, Sarah. Yeah, I, I was just going to say one other thing. I mean, you know, I, I'm fortunate in the fact that I have lived. Um, you know, in different places with different cultures. And I've been exposed to a lot more than probably the average police officer. Um, you know, it just popped into my mind when I was working um, as a police officer and I went to a home that was a Middle Eastern home um, and I was with another officer and that officer was actually a rookie officer compared to me. Um, but that officer was um, a man and this was a Middle Eastern family. And so I told him, you need to take the lead on this. And yes, he's yes. like, why? And I said, because it's respectful. And in this culture, mm -hmm. uh, my talking to them is going to be almost insulting. Mm -hmm. So you need to take the lead on this. And if you need any help, I'm here, but in this culture, you're the person that needs to talk to this family. Wow. You know, and those are things that, mm -hmm. I mean, really that kind of stuff, you can, you can train for it, yeah. but I think a lot of it is um, life experience, mm -hmm. um, but that's so specific. And I think, you know, a lot of officers would be like, what? Like, why are you doing that? Right. You know? Um, so just, just something that came to mind. Yeah, but understanding the culture and the differences, and that, uh, that was a great way, obviously, of you handling that. And again, it, it, this could also be uh, lessons and, 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 and things to learn from a corporate perspective. I know we're getting close to time. because There's a couple of uh, comments or questions that we wanted to definitely make sure that we ask you, Lloyd and, and Sarah. And, and one is, so what, what do you wish the community knew about your experience as an officer? I mean, what would you want our listeners in the community to know about your experience as an, as an officer? And Sarah, you were talking through that. You wanna, you wanna start? Um, sure, I mean, I, the first thing I would say is that I got into law enforcement because I truly wanted to make a difference. And I know it sounds very cliche, um, but I did, you know, I went to a private girls school, you know, I went to college, got my degree. And then when I told my parents that I wanted to be a police officer, they're like, okay. <laughs> I mean, luckily I had parents that were very supportive, but you know, everybody else in my graduating class went on to be, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or somebody in that, those kind of professions. Um, Again, my parents are very supportive and, and I did it because I, I genuinely wanted to make a difference. Um, it is a fantastic job. And I think that the media and also social media really 
destroys the reputation the reputation the police should have mm -hmm. um there's so much misreporting by the media um and comments made by celebrities and politicians mm -hmm. are, are so reckless yeah. um and just so unfair you know people need to realize policing is not about just shooting somebody there there are so many facets to this job um you know i mean i could i could make a list a mile long sure, but sure. i think people forget um that there's all those other all those other things that police do right, right. um and to me it's very frustrating you know when everybody gets caught up in one thing yeah. and doesn't give police the recognition that they should have the recognition and respect right i mean nowadays exactly exactly i mean when we when i was growing up you you know the police showed up you you whipped in shape you 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 know you made sure that you were respectful but nowadays i tell you between the the mental illnesses that you the, the police have to deal with the drugs you know you know if somebody's on you know heroin or whatever and that alters people's state of mind it's just um got a lot to deal with there well real quick if i can jump in i just yeah. i wanted to to respond to along with Sarah. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to uh, what you said about the community real quick. I want everyone to know that as far as uh, policing, it is an absolutely fantastic job. Mm -hmm. There is nothing more satisfying to me and a lot of the friends that I worked with and colleagues uh, to helping someone. Mm -hmm. I mean, just a human experience. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of responsibilities. Unfortunately, uh, police officers are under under the microscope. There are a few bad apples that, you know, spoil the whole bunch right. and uh, the community itself. I think myself, uh, my career actually was, was, was really, really satisfying and I made a difference. And what I gained from my experience as, as being a police officer of color, the fact of the matter is, even in my own community, I wanted people to understand that an officer didn't have to look just one certain way. And that's just because this gentleman showed up. He is an officer too, mm -hmm. and and he's here to do the same thing that someone you would else expect to do. Right. And uh, it's just it's an outstanding job. I I will say this, and as Sarah was talking, to be very honest, with you when I went to college and then I went into the military, I can honestly, and I just said this last month uh, in one of the classes that I was conducting, that uh, being a police officer wasn't my first choice. I'm not going to lie to you. I I had other aspirations of things when I was in college somewhat like what Sarah said, my family was very supportive and surprised that I wanted to be a police officer. When they looked at me, they were like, what? So, but after serving in the military and then coming home, uh, they, I thought there was a need for uh, uh, someone like myself in my community. And so I stepped up and I was surprised at uh, what happened during my career. And it's just been an amazing ride. And, and it's sad that a lot of officers uh, when you put that uniform on, they are disrespected and absolutely they're very fantastic human beings and they would do anything. I don't know one officer I know personally, uh, the bad apples usually hide anyway, um, that would walk past somebody on the street and would not help them. So, yes, you know, that's, so, that's the key. I don't see anybody doing that. Not one. I couldn't name one. The bad apple is going to walk by. So you don't know him anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So 
so we're going to end the call with 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 this tell me both of you if you could tell us what can we do to heal this nation's relationship with the police just what we're doing right now I, if i can jump in just what we're doing right now because everybody's going to have their own their own opinions their own experiences and they're going to bring to the to table uh, their own personal life experiences and if you don't sit down and get to know someone and talk to someone, you're not gonna straighten it out because all you have is a circulation of a conversation and myths and untruths about what's going on. And you have to get to know another person. I just told my son last night, you know, you're gonna get to know somebody, uh, just be quiet and listen to what they have to say. And that's the deal. Right. And you have to talk. And, and throughout my career, I think uh, getting to know somebody, no matter who they were, is important and it was one of the one of the satisfying things i've had and was very helpful in my career and i'm going to tell you last thing i i apologize if i um jump you know conversating here the fact of the matter is diversity in the department is very important i think that you know we respond to uh to people that look like us mm -hmm. uh, we respond to people that don't look like us but the bottom line is you need diversity because just as sarah pointed out and in life experience, this rookie officer did not know or had any idea that in the, the Middle Eastern culture that the, the man takes charge and the woman is unfortunately uh, it's kind of subservient uh, in, in the respect of uh, handling the business. I've seen that experience in, when I was in Saudi Arabia, but uh, it's, it's important. I think diversity is a big issue getting to the table. And I believe if we really do what you guys are doing right now, and I appreciate you allowing me to be part of this, that it will make a difference. And you just have to keep doing it. Absolutely. Keep doing it and doing it and doing it until you get it right. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sarah? I absolutely agree with Lloyd. And, and I would ask people to educate themselves about police departments, about their police department in particular. Hey, if you get a chance to go on a ride along where you live, Go take a ride along and see what a day in the life of a police yes. officer is like. Yes, because it, it is not what you think it is. Nope. Um, so take the time to talk to the police officers that are in the area that you live. Go on a ride along, educate yourselves, and please don't take everything on social media as gospel because it please. is not. It, it is so not true. warped <laughs> and, and you just need to wait for the facts and for the legalities um, to come through to show what the truth is. Mm -hmm. And people are so, are, are, right now this country is so like, I want it now. And it's like, you need to take a moment to just step back get the facts before you have an opinion and stop listening to all the noise of the media and the attorneys and you know the people on social media and the celebrities and everybody you just need to take a moment and step back but i really encourage people to go on a ride along or at least speak to a cop that's in your community and really understand what it is that they do and, and how they're helping your community. Because it's not about just shooting people. That's not it. 
Exactly. No, absolutely. Exactly. So Sarah, I have to say this. I mean, if, if you were an officer showing up for something that I had going on and I saw officer care, I'd be like, I'm safe. I'm fine. He's going to take care of me. <laughs> well, but it, it's officer S care. So it's officer scare. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wouldn't even see the S. I wouldn't see the S. <laughs> no, you know what? It was, it was an awesome name to have as a cop. It really was. It really actually, it probably caught a lot of people um, off and started a conversation. I bet. Also, de-escalation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the name that I had on my shirt. That's so, right. Exactly. You know, my name has done nothing but good things for me. Exactly. Absolutely. Officer Care is in the house, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I will tell you that we, we went outside of our time, but I feel like it is Absolutely. worth to expend, extend this podcast because yeah. it's such an important topic. Um, we have reached, I, I could have said that's our time 20 minutes ago. Right. Um, but we know this is a difficult discussion. We appreciate your candor Absolutely. more than anything. And we appreciate you sharing your opinions and understanding because no one, we could not have had this discussion with anyone but you because of the, your experience. Absolutely. With our country being so divided, you are bringing us together and helping us to have a better understanding of the police. Right. Thank you for having me. Thank I you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank, Thank you. you. Hope it helps. Yeah. Yes. So I will say that, you know, that the intent of this podcast is to look at all diversity intersections and find a place where we can meet. And I truly believe that we have met and we hope that, you know, we have given information, knowledge, experience to the audience that will change their perspectives to the police department and understand that the police are here to help. Only God is perfect. No one is perfect. So, you know, thank you so much. Um, and we will see you next time where diversity and inclusion meet. We'll see you at the diversity intersection.